I realize that uh, often at this time of year, January, February, and so forth, uh, in my teaching here, there's often an emphasis on developing what we sometimes call the heart practices. I think this is in part because of teaching the uh, metta retreat uh, every year in January. And uh, this year also, I was invited to uh, Cloud Mountain Retreat Center north of Portland over New Year's where I and Heather Sundberg taught uh, a retreat on transforming the judgmental mind. And for that retreat, we actually teach over the course of uh, somewhere between five and seven days, we teach six heart practices as part of the toolbox for working with judgments. We teach loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, forgiveness, and gratitude. And try to develop those as regular practices. And recently I've been um, teaching more and actually for the first time gave a, um, a long talk on forgiveness at the, at the Metta retreat. And I had been teaching forgiveness and making it a practice in my daily life for some time, but I had always um, given actually, um, before teaching forgiveness, I had given 15 or 20 minute, 10 to 20 minute introductions without notes. And then we would do the practice. And so I had a lot of uh, pleasure actually as we decided on who would teach what at the Meta Retreat. And I said, I'd like to do a longer talk on forgiveness. And so did that for the first time uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, really uh, enjoyed very much uh, reading about forgiveness. Um, I, I knew a fair amount already. And in fact, I had, you know, again, have worked with it as a practice and have worked with individuals who've been um, working to develop uh, forgiveness for something very major in their lives. You know, one person I worked with about seven years ago named uh, Tom uh, Hudgens, I think is how you pronounce it. He was nine years old when his 22-year-old sister was raped and murdered. And he came to, he knew who the person was. And when he was in, I believe, his 30s, he decided he wanted to forgive that person who had murdered. And maybe I'll come back and tell that story. So I had worked with him. We worked over six or eight months regularly to move towards his trip down to a penitentiary in Texas where he had a face-to-face -face encounter with the murderer. So I thought of, of starting a kind of a series in these weeks on particularly how to work with heart practices in more challenging types of situations that come up for us. And I wanted to start with some teaching on forgiveness. And today I want to both talk about forgiveness generally and also guide us through the practice of forgiveness. I could have done that 
the practice in our sitting, but I wanted to give some introduction first, some a fuller introduction. So I'll actually take us through that practice towards the end of our the end of our time, and we'll then we'll leave some time for discussion. And my hope is that people uh, are um, inspired and that the practice resonates, and you'd like to, and that you take it on to do it. Um, every day for the next week, and then we come back and compare notes. I tell some of my longer stories, which I think I will not have time to tell today, which I've, uh, actually some of them I didn't have time to tell in my, in my talk. So I have this, this, and they're amazing stories that just can, and probably many of you know stories that can really um, give us a sense of the human capacity to keep a sense of wisdom and kindness in really difficult and sometimes extremely difficult circumstances. And that's really what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness, I would say, is an intermediate level or advanced level practice for inclining towards the awakened heart and freedom in difficult circumstances. And it's one of a set of heart practices that help us to do that. You know, our most basic practice is metta, is loving-kindness practice. And a lot of the development of what we call often the awakened heart is done in um, safe circumstances, protected environments like here, where we incline towards the kind heart and we go in that direction. And very, very crucial to have those protected environments, to be able to be away from the difficult situations, the difficult settings. One of my favorite meta stories really illustrating that need for a protected environment is of a a young boy who was learning loving-kindness or metta practice in the context, I think, of the Mindful Schools program. Is anyone here been connected with the Mindful Schools? So several of you. So as many of you know, that has been a program which has taught mindfulness and loving-kindness on a secular basis to at least 15,000 elementary school students primarily in the Bay Area, including in San Francisco, Oakland, and I think more recently in Marin, and maybe Sonoma, I think. Um, And the... um, So this young boy came from a very, very, uh, actually from a violent household. A lot of difficulties. He was very shut down. And uh, and when they first started doing loving-kindness, you know, in the very brief protected environment of the Mindful Schools program where they might have 15 or 20 minutes with the kids. And he at first said, there's nothing there. You know, people were asked, what is the color of your loving kindness? And people would say, it's bright, bright yellow. It's, it's glowing. And, and, and his first answer was, it's gray. Yeah. And he said, I can't really find any, anyone that I can express love towards. He couldn't find that towards his family. He couldn't find it easily. And finally, after some time, he said, I think maybe I can have some loving-kindness towards my dog. 
and the teacher worked with him and he, his, his loving kindness for, for his dog was able to grow. And in that class, they had each of the kids, as, a, as they were, were um, doing loving kindness, they were asked also to have some beeswax, which they kept in their hand. And, and they, want, they were asked to see if the beeswax was melting. Or was because that would be a sign that the meditation was working. That's that's what they said. (laughs) I don't know if that's manipulative or not, but anyway, that's that's what they did. And and one day, in the meditation, this young boy became very very excited. He said, "I'm feeling things for my dog." And he came to the teacher and he said, "It's working." The beeswax is melting, and I feel, and I'm feeling things for my dog, and it actually, things opened up. You know, you could imagine difficult childhood, the closed down heart, in the protected environment there was some movement, and of course things continued to be difficult, you know, in the household, but there was movement for him, and much, you know, and again, for many of us, we find these protected environments to develop the heart, and very, very crucial for all of us to have those environments. And then in the loving-kindness practice, we typically bring the loving-kindness initially where it flows the best. We don't go for the difficult circumstances. We see where the loving-kindness flows the best, and we practice there. And it's it's as they say that um, uh, sometimes it's said that love is contagious, and if we catch love with a dog, it becomes transmitted <laughs> to others, <laughs> so to speak. And that's our, that's our principle, really. We, we, we practice to um, awaken the heart more where it's easiest to awaken in some initially uh, special circumstances. And as we practice more, we also want to be able to bring that quality of the kind heart to difficult circumstances as well, to challenging circumstances. Clearly, if our practice is only efficacious when things are going well or in a protected environment, it's of limited use. And so the, the intention of our practice is actually um, to bring the awakened heart and mind, to have the intention to bring it to every circumstance, including the difficult ones. Yeah. I think of that maybe in the spirit of Barack Obama and his talk last night, but I, I find myself using a word that he used. I think that it's audacious to in, intend to go to wisdom and the open heart no matter what happens. That it's, it can be expressed very simply, but it's very, very powerful, it's audacious, it's ambitious, and it changes the world. And that's, that's what we are practicing here. And forgiveness is, as I mentioned, a kind of intermediate or advanced level practice where we consciously intend to bring the open heart to difficulties. We intend to bring it to 
interpersonal relationships where there's been difficulty, where we want to forgive ourselves and perhaps ask for forgiveness. And we also can bring it to ourselves. We can forgive ourselves for something that hasn't gone right in our lives, something that we judge ourselves, excuse me, judge ourselves for, and so forth. And I'll go through the different uh, steps of forgiveness. Forgiveness is both historically an interpersonal and social practice, and it's also an inner practice. We'll be primarily practicing it in an inner way. In many, many cultures, forgiveness has been an important social practice. Um, One psychologist, uh, Roberto Assagioli, says, without forgiveness, life is governed by an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. And so it's, it's a way, and most societies have had something like this, actually, at least within the circle, within a, sometimes within a more narrow circle, there can be ways that we don't stay with feuds, with resentment, with endless cycles of attack and defense and so forth. So in a way, it's a way to work with that. And in a lot of societies, there are very developed procedures for forgiveness. You know, one of the ones which, uh, one process which I learned about um, about 15 years ago was when I visited the um, island of Bella Bella in um, northern British Columbia. I have a friend, Patricia Vickers, who in, as in Canada they, they would call First Nations. And she invited me to go to a potlatch that her family was giving in Bella Bella. Bella Bella is about 14 hours by uh, 14 hours north of Vancouver. <laughs> and we drove to the tip of Vancouver Island, and then we took about a nine hour ferry. And we got to Bella Bella. You can't get there by uh, roads. <laughs> you have to take boats. And the potlatch is an ancient uh, ceremony of gift giving. Uh, gift giving, and it's a complicated process, and it was an honor to be there. There weren't very many uh, non-First Nations people there. It was very, quite an honor, and it was an amazing ceremony um, that, you know, where, where things went on for they started about three in the afternoon and they went on every day for about three or four days until three in the morning. And the whole community took part. And there were, there were powerful uh, rituals of forgiveness there. I saw, for example, um, rituals where people who had been, um, who had abused children and had committed sexual abuse, were asked to engage in a dance with the people who had been abused, with the whole community uh, witnessing. Right? So you see that the, the um, you know, possibilities of forgiveness are quite, um, quite powerful, and they can take us beyond what we even think is possible. You know, some of these stories. And those were powerful rituals and people were going into that. It was voluntary, people, but people were going into that circle 
and going in there and, as it were, enlisting the power of the traditional culture for healing purposes in the context of these sacred three or four days. And I also met um, a young man named Frank Brown who had, um, some years before that, uh, committed crimes when he was 17 years old. He had, uh, I think, I think he had actually done some burglary, if I remember right. And he, they had the option of sending him into the Canadian uh, penal system, take, sending him to prison. And his, his aunt, right before he would have been sentenced, said, we have traditional means which are different. And those are to ask this young man to be banished to an island and to come back and receive forgiveness from the community. And she asked the uh, elders of the community whether they would approve of that process for him. And they agreed. He went to an island near Bella Bella, just, you know, like, uh, just across a short, small body of water, probably half a mile. But, and he, had to, he lived on that island for seven months by himself. He was visited at times by the elders who taught him. And I, think, I think the ant thought that, he, that this actually might be a good process. They didn't, they didn't do it for everyone. And it was for him. He turned around inside. He came back to the community. There was a ceremony. It was it's called a washing ceremony where they took him uh, back into the community. And in a sense, uh, forgave him and said, you have, um, you have done what you needed to do to restore the balance that was broken by your actions. So this, we sometimes speak of this as an example of restorative justice, and which is an increasing model in opposition to the model of punishment. It's being used. And like the story I told about my student who studied with me and then went into the Texas prison system and worked with forgiveness and meeting and reconciliation, interestingly, these ideas of reconciliation, forgiveness, restorative justice are actually gaining a lot of uh, hearing in the U.S. system, which is quite remarkable. And even these are the uh, prevailing models in a number of California counties. Quite amazing. The whole idea is that uh, there's, there's a different system than punishment. And part of the inner process is connected with working for, for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, and restoring the balance through those processes rather than through punishment. Yeah. So forgiveness is a, um, is a practice of intention. We intend to come to forgiveness. And we can't always do it very quickly. And we can't rush forgiveness. But it's holding the intention that I don't want to be 
with my um, resentment. I don't want to last stay with my anger. I want to, in a way, work through it. Now, a few other words about forgiveness. Maybe, maybe one from Oscar Wilde. Always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. <laughs> and then from uh, Dr. King. You know, forgiveness is clearly a very strong practice in much of Christianity. And uh, for Dr. King, it was a fundamental practice for him in the midst of the civil rights uh, movement. He said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. And there's something important to say about what forgiveness is not. That it is uh, a way of recognizing that if I have reactivity in relationship to the past, I, in a sense, am bound. And I, in a sense, suffer. If I have continuing resentment, anger, uh, preoccupied mind, in relation to something that happened in the past, I am not free. And my heart will tend to close down. And it's hard to live with wisdom. In other words, to the extent that there's not forgiveness, it's very hard to do our practice. That practice is, is less accessible. And there's more, the kind of wall goes up, the wall of separation, lack of empathy, for oneself or another, judgment, and so forth. And that prevails. And so the point of forgiveness practice, particularly as we do it as an inner practice, is that recognition that as long as I'm reactive, I can't be wise or compassionate or all the things which I aspire to be. And so we need practices to work with what's there. crucial to say that one can aspire towards forgiveness while not at all saying that what happened was okay. Forgiveness isn't about condoning. It's not about forgetting. It's not about excusing. It's not about being passive. It's not about, uh, it's not about trying to cover over one's anger. Not about any of that. And in fact, one can aspire to forgiveness and say, I don't want to be with this person for the rest of my life. One can set boundaries, one can take action, but it's really about what is there in my own mind and heart in relation to something which happened, which is um, destructive or negative or harmful or whatever, whatever language we use. How do I relate to that? So you see, it gets right at the heart of one of the core challenges of our practice, which is how do we bring this wonderful aspiration to be mindful, kind, wise? How do we bring that into situations where we have conflict, where we think this person has hurt me or harmed me, and so forth? So 
it takes us right into some of the hard places of our practice. We can think from the example of Dr. King, he would forgive people, but he would act very, very fully to do what was right in his mind. So again, uh, Jack Kornfield says forgiveness is about giving up hope for a better past. He's good at that. (laughs) So a few other um, points about the dynamics, uh, how forgiveness works. Then I'll take us through the practice, then we'll have some time to talk together. I think next time uh, I'll continue and I'll tell some of the stories which are a little bit longer, which take a little more time to tell. Uh, But for me, you're very inspiring. And I'll see see if I have room for some of those here. I'll tell some of them. Um, So again, forgiveness is about intending to stay with the wise heart when there are difficulties, when there are interpersonal difficulties, when I judge myself for something and so forth. To keep that sense of freedom, to not have something painful need to shut me down. not, not uh, Not have need to have something difficult or painful shut me down. One of the basics, basic qualities of forgiveness is that we learn better how to distinguish between the person and the action. And so with forgiveness, again, it's related to not condoning what happened. We don't condone an action. We don't forgive the action. We forgive the person. We recognize that every person has capabilities to be wise, foolish, beautiful, not so beautiful, and so forth. And we make a distinction between the basic goodness of the person and the often negative actions that occur. And so this is hard because often when we have difficulties with another or even with ourselves, we don't think that the other person is basically good or even that I'm basically good. We may go to think I'm basically bad or not good and we in a way, shut ourselves or shut another person out of our heart. So this is about keeping that sense of empathy and connecting with, we might say, a sense of of basic goodness or our basic potential, our basic nature. Uh, Desmond Tutu. Forgiveness says that you are given another chance to make a new beginning. Uh, Martin Luther King, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. One who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. I think there's a There's a James Thurber story which has a really funny line in it where there's uh, the person who is um, the wicked person is named the Duke 
And there's a line in that story where he says, we all have our flaws. Mine is being wicked. <laughs> when I was thinking about forgiveness, I talked to my mom, who, who's here today, as most, most of you know, and she told me a story. So this is a true story. She told me that um, when, when I was young and my brother Frederick was young, my brother Frederick was about five years old, he did something that she didn't like. And she made that distinction between the good person and what, I don't know what language you use, but the bad action or, or the, what shouldn't be repeated or whatever, whatever language was used. And one day, my brother did something that she didn't like that he had done. I think he teased someone else, right? Is that it? I think, I think it was, he was teasing someone else. And she said, you know, I love you very much, but I don't like what you did. And he responded to her at age five, don't talk like a psychologist to me, just spank me like Billy's mother does. <laughs> So that distinction is quite important, <laughs> and I, I don't think you spanked him, but that was that was that was the response, right? And uh, there's another similar story which I really like from about a um, a boy who was uh, even younger. He was about three and a half, and he was raised with the same philosophy, and uh, of uh, him being basically good, but there were things that he did that weren't so good, or whatever language they used, and. He was once um, with his family taking a trip with another family and there was a young girl about his age and they were both sitting in the back seat and he did something that she didn't like. And she said to him, you're a bad boy. And she, he responded with three and a half year old clarity, there are no bad boys, only bad actions. <laughs> True story. He's probably a, you know, a world-class mediator at this point. <laughs> so um, that's a basis for forgiveness. You know, I think, uh, I'll get to the practice in just a moment, but the, uh, I think I wanted to say a few things that I think forgiveness, much like we talk about with loving kindness and compassion and joy. Do you remember how we talk about what we sometimes call near enemies? or near opposites, that, that there can be distorted versions of loving-kindness, which is the distorted version of loving-kindness is when our love is needy or grasping, right? There's still some love there, but it's distorted. And traditionally, this was called the near enemy, and um, my colleague Larry Yang calls it the near opposite, and Heather Sunberg calls it the near miss. <laughs> And so, but, but it's, they're very helpful to think about these because when we're practicing to develop the kind heart or the awakened heart, it's really good to know that sometimes it's going to be a little distorted and we want to look out for those expressions. So for compassion, the distorted version is pity, right? We look at someone, we have some care there. There's something there. It's not zero, 
but it gets mixed up with maybe a sense of superiority, right? And that's distorted. And I think the distorted versions of forgiveness is when we, um, maybe we forgive too quickly. Uh, It may be that we cover over our anger. We don't go into the anger. There's a great, let me see, there's a great quote from the psychologist, uh, Alice Miller. Let's see if I find this exactly. Um, Genuine forgiveness does not deny anger, but faces it head on. Because when we do the practice, we often, we intend to forgive, and then whatever is there comes up. Whatever is present may come up, and we may incline to forgiveness, but we may find a wall there. And we may and we just sit with it as we do as we do the practice, and so we may have this way that we may rush our forgiveness, we may cover over anger, we may think we should forgive, and we actually don't face what's there, because all of these are practices. These are not like our loving kindness practice. We are not producing an emotional state, but we are inclining in a certain direction. And there often is a process of what we call purification. Things come up. I'm inclining towards forgiveness, and what do I find? I find zero feeling for this person. I find anger. I find resentment. I find zero feeling for this person. I find um, uh, storyline. I find zero feeling for this person, and so forth, right? And And our forgiveness practice with our most difficult persons may look like that you know, for a while, and then and sometimes something, something opens up. And we may also, I think one other aspect that is a kind of a near miss or a near opposite is when we forgive but we don't act appropriately. When we maybe don't set that boundary or don't follow through on something. And we think, I only need to do it in an inner way. So these, I think, are potential distortions of forgiveness. So the practice. You can get your sheet out. And the way we do the practice, this is one way we do it. And the handouts are on the chair there. Is that we go through four phases. The first is when we have, when we bear in mind a relationship where there's been some difficulty. Where I've done something negative or unskillful and I ask for forgiveness. The second is where, again, in a relational context, where someone has done something, so to speak, harmful to me and I offer forgiveness. The third is where I've done things that are connected with my own suffering or my own distress and I forgive myself. And the fourth is not a typical one. It's one that Larry Yang developed and I've modified it. It's where we see the extent to which we have resentment or anger in relationship to the whole nature of things. It might be our own personal situation or it could be the level of suffering in the world. And we actually forgive things being as they are. And you'll have to see whether that resonates for you. This is an, more of an innovation in terms of what's typically taught in forgiveness practice. We'll do them in a moment. One further word. 
the language that we use here, that I have in these phrases, uses the phrase, I harmed you, you harmed me. It's important to remember that that is a um, radical simplification of how things actually work. And that if we're actually talking about a relationship where, let's say, someone says something negative to me, my degree of suffering or distress is going to be dependent on a lot of different factors. It's going to be dependent on the relationship, what the person says, the tone of voice, what the per- things on the other person's side, as it were. But it's also going to be dependent on me. What are my inner factors? Do I react? You know, and because we know that with some people where we were reactive five years ago, I'm not reactive anymore. Or someone can say something to me that might have uh, elicited a reaction that I've worked through something. Maybe someone criticizes me in public or something. Or maybe someone uh, judges me in a certain way and I'm not as uh, vulnerable to reaction as I was initially. In other words, the degree of my suffering is also going to depend on my own inner factors. Does that make some sense? And so it's actually complex, you know. And I once tried to develop a, a forgiveness phrase which tried to take the subtlety and complexity into account, you know, the, the inner factors, the outer factors. And I um, <coughs> worked with it with a group. Um, and I think this is what I came up with, which I actually uh, very soon dropped <laughs> because it was too complex. To anyone for whom my thoughts, words, or actions, consciously or unconsciously carried out, may have triggered your pain. I asked your forgiveness. So, you know, if you want to bring in that subtlety, you can. I found it getting cumbersome, but I do want to say that when we use language like I harmed you, you harmed me, it's important to remember the subtleties because it's not, you know, the causality is not simple. Whether I suffer, you know, presumably you could say most anything to the Buddha and he wouldn't have suffered, right? And... We know, again, uh, maybe children can say really harsh negative things to us and they don't have the impact that someone else might. Does that make some sense? Okay. So the first one, for these practices, the general way that I suggest doing it is either say the phrase and uh, see what comes to mind. A second way of doing it is having a, uh, in the case of the first two uh, Uh, sets of phrases to have a relationship in mind that you want to go to. One further piece of guidance, we don't go to the hardest situation with forgiveness. We work up to that. So when we're training in forgiveness, we take small things. For example, a lot of my daily forgiveness practice is working with really uh, fairly small things like uh, driving, someone cuts me off, I cut someone else off, and I will do forgiveness practice on the spot. It's like, I think of it as like right on the spot cleaning up a mess, you know? Or yesterday, I got a call from a telemarketer. Some of my forgiveness stories that I've developed have been about telemarketers. So I got a call, and, he, and, and I 
you know, I'm still confused about the relationship of getting so many telemarketing calls and being on the do not call list, but that's, that's another matter. Okay, and so I got this call yesterday, and I, I knew, of course, it was a telemarketer. I was right in the middle of something, and I was really on, in, really on great behavior. And I said, you know, you know, I'm in the middle of something. Could you call back another time? And the person kept on talking and said, you know, wanted me to basically take a vacation in Las Vegas. <laughs> and later when I said I, I really am not inclined to take vacations in Las Vegas, said, oh, we have many other places you can go. <laughs> and so there I was. I said it once, and she kept on talking. And then I said again, quite politely, you know, um, I'm re I'm really am in the middle of something, and I'm, I know I don't want to take a vacation in Las Vegas. And she kept on talking. And, and could, we, you know, be, could we hang up? And she said a third time, and she kept on talking. And I said, you know, I really need to get back. And so I was kind of being patient, and she kept on talking. And eventually I said, I, I really don't want to just hang up, but if you keep talking, that's what I'll do. And she kept on talking. <laughs> And I hung up and didn't feel great, right? Um, and I felt like I was pretty clean from my end. I'm not always clean with telemarketers, but in this case I was. Does this sound pretty, pretty decent behavior? <laughs> okay. huh? Ridiculously good. <laughs> Virtuous. Okay. And then, um, but then I did feel, I could feel some tension from trying to over and over set the boundary which wasn't being respected. I could feel some tension in my body, and so I did forgiveness to her for what she had done on the spot, right? And, and that, I felt it kind of cleansed it and my body calmed down some. So that's, that's an example. We can, that's what I'm suggesting. We, those are small things. We can practice with the small things. I would say for this exercise, practice with something that's uh, maybe five on a scale of ten. Don't go to the hardest thing. So the way I'll do it, I'll read them out loud, and then you can uh, just silently, if you want, I'll take maybe two minutes with each one, and you can read it to yourself, or just basically, it's kind of like metta. We might say the phrase, and then we let, just let there be a pause for 30 seconds or a minute, see what's there. Then we might say it again, and just see what's there, okay? You get, yeah. Uh, so when you do these, for instance, if you're doing it because the feel hurt by someone else, yeah. and so you're forgiving someone else. Do you always do the counterpart that I, if I hurt you, I ask you for forgiveness, mm -hmm. assuming that there's maybe something you did I think you so. don't even know? So the question is, <laughs> if, if it seems from my vantage point like it's, it's one-sided, the other person's hurt me and I haven't done anything, as you suggest, that's... Uh, typically unlikely, <laughs> you know, but, but it does happen, right? And it, it certainly can be predominantly coming from one side, for sure. And so I think that would be, a, um, and the question is, do we always do, as it were, the first two for a particular situation? I think you'd have to play that by ear. If it really feels, you know, like I would say in the situation I just named, it seemed pretty one-sided, right? I think I would just 
go like that. But I probably actually, in that situation, I probably would come back and ask for forgiveness for anything unskillful and just see what was there. You know, and that could be very useful. You don't know, and just it's actually a kind of an inquiry, you know, you know, like, you know, I had one thought with the telemarketer. I, it felt like I was getting a little bit teachy. You know, one of the occupational hazards of being a teacher is that one's teaches outside of one's actual role. <laughs> People close to one always will let one know that. <laughs> right. So anyway, so for me, I think it was good to do that. Okay. Great question, thanks. Okay, in any way that I have harmed you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I ask for your forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. The second phrase, in any way that I have been harmed by you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer you forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. And then the third phrase, in relationship to oneself, in any way that I have harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer myself forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. Our minds may go to something in our life that we maybe we judge ourselves for. That's not like we want and we have some judgment or anger or resentment in relation to ourselves.
now the last one. In any way that I have been unable to be with and respond skillfully to the pain and suffering of our world, my own pain and that of others, may I come to accept pain, suffering, and confusion and ignorance to be part of the journey, my own journey and the journey, journeys of others. I offer forgiveness for the way that things are and have been as much as is possible in this moment. And again, for all these, if you need to change the language a little bit to work for you, that's fine. This is about the any way that you have any kind of resentment or reaction to the way things are in your own life or more broadly in the world. Thanks. Um, so we have, yeah, we have time for questions, discussion, please. I'm a little um, conflicted about the last line, as much as is possible in this moment. Yeah. For me, if you're forgiving somebody or asking their forgiveness, you want it to be 100% and not having it metered out. Mm-hmm. It seems as though it's incremental for just now. Mm-hmm. So the question is about the last line in all of the four phrases, as much as is possible in this moment. And isn't, um, shouldn't forgiveness be 100%? Um, well, th- this goes back to, to the sense of seeing this as a practice. And we're, we're 100% in terms of our best in the practice. But it might be, uh, it's really recognizing that we move towards that full forgiveness and we can't simply produce it on the spot. Like if I have a difficult relation and I start this forgiveness practice um, and I want to offer forgiveness for this person and I say these lines and I sit there and all I feel is my anger, right? There's not forgiveness there. And, and and the, the line, as much as is possible in this moment, is really recognizing that there won't always be forgiveness and it won't always be full forgiveness, that sometimes there'll be anger, resentment, a wall, and so forth. Am I, am I getting your question right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Does that make some sense? Yeah, yeah so it's really, the, it's really the process quality of this, that we, we have fullness of the practice, we incline in that way, but it's like uh, actually all of our practice, we, we incline, but then whatever, whatever it is, it is. I might, I might say, I want to forgive, 
and I want to go in this direction, but when I say those phrases, I feel anger, right? And, and I sit with it for a while, and that actually is part of the process of moving towards forgiveness. Yeah. Um, please, yeah. Yeah. And just after this last question, it strikes me that it may be it's useful to think of reconciliation as sort of a way station mm-hmm. in the direction if you can't make it to forgiveness, you can at least recognize that you need these things. Yeah. It's, it's done and over with. That's the reality. Yeah. You have to live with that. In fact, Larry Yang's line, the, sec- the middle sentence, may I come to accept pain, suffering, etc., etc., he doesn't say, that's a little different than forgiving. That's acceptance. Yeah. And that's, there's a softening with acceptance. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, so, so question about the relation of forgiveness and reconciliation and the, the, uh, the line uh, about ac- accepting Difficulty. So, so some interesting points there. I think, um, and I think you're using reconciliation in, in a few different ways. Some, sometimes reconciliation means restoring the relationship, or could be restoring the interpersonal relationship. And one of the interesting things about forgiveness is that uh, I can forgive another independent of what the other person does. And the other person may continue to be a stone wall. And there actually may be no reconciliation. And I can still forgive. So I think you, as I heard it, you were using more like reconcile oneself to the fact that this actually happened. I'm leaving out of restorative. Um, yeah, the restorative. Yeah, that which you see as part of reconciliation. Yeah. Can I, can I have some balance and live with this? We, sometimes we would talk about equanimity. Yeah, that yeah. turns the flame down a little yeah. bit from the anger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, and, and, um, and again, I think that, that could very much be part of forgiveness. Can I acknowledge that this really happened? And we, that's one sense of the way we use accept. Accept is a tricky word because we use accept both in the sense of uh, agreeing that this is reality, is one sense of accept. And we also use it in a moral sense. We, we accept something, this is good, this should happen, etc. And clearly you're referring to the first and not the second. Right? Well, the thing yeah. thinking of is that when we carry grudges like yeah. that, constantly brooding, it's because um, you're, 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 resist- you're still in denial. This yeah. should not have happened. I'm still Yeah. Yeah, we're fighting the battle, and we and for different people, we may get there in different ways. For some people, it you know some people maybe could get there more by understanding and by wisdom. You know, like there's the French phrase. uh, How does it go? Uh, Comprendre c'est pardonner, I think it is. To, to, and it's usually translated as to understand is to forgive. 
right? So there's something I didn't bring up so much, but there's a wisdom aspect for forgiveness. We might understand, oh, it couldn't be otherwise. Or as Sylvia likes to say in that greeting that came from Gwen Gordon, I couldn't be better, right? There's a, there's a, um, and so there can be that sense of understanding. And sometimes for some of us, if we have a grudge, we can, we can actually have some understanding that helps us relieve it. But for some of us, it might need to really touch something in the heart. And until that's touched, the grudge is going to stay. And that's what the forgiveness practice can go, I think, in both directions, really. And it brings in both the wisdom aspect and also the, the what we might call the awakened heart aspect. So both are, both are important, but thanks. Yeah, but the interesting, the interesting point that you weren't intending that I think was good to bring out is that I can forgive no matter what someone else does. Yeah, please. The thing that, that concerns me about it a little bit is it kind of reminds me of the Christian thing of forgiveness and like you can go to confession and no matter what you did, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be very easy for the perpetrator. Like that story that you told about the um, being up in Vancouver and the, the victim of sexual um, abuse dancing with the perpetrator, that really was sort of disturbing to me yep. because I'm wondering, you know, I hope that a lot of, I hope a lot went on before that dance. I hope that, <laughs> I hope that, that that wasn't just the way the culture deals with it and then the perpetrator mm-hmm. gets to feel like, okay, everything's okay now. That's a good question. So his question is about, uh, is forgiveness a way of avoiding, or can it be a way of avoiding accountability and the actual hard work that it might take to come to genuine forgiveness? Or to, to come to really restore the situation and what would that take? And so it's a great, it's a fantastic question and important question. And I think it relates to what I was saying about the near opposites or the near misses. That forgiveness, if it doesn't go in those directions, I think could be distorted. And, and in, in terms of that actual situation, uh, my sense was that there was a, a great deal of work. You know, I actually, the person who invited me up there she actually did her PhD dissertation, Patricia Vickers, you might even look it up. She did her PhD dissertation on sexual abuse in First Nations communities, you know, and, um, and I, think that the, I think there was a fair amount of work. Whether it was adequate, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't have the answer to that, but it, I think it would be, uh, but I think, I don't know if that was really being done in a way that, in a sense, the, um, my sense was it, was it was ongoing work. It wasn't like, oh, we do this dance and there you go, right? right. I, I don't think it was like that. But uh, I should ask Patricia, you know, that'd be a great question for her because she looked into that in tremendous depth in terms of her own, her own work. Um, but I think, we, I think we can broaden it to other kinds of situations, right? You know, it is, you know, I, I imagine in the history of Christianity, the confession has been used in ways that would be problematic, I would imagine, right? And so, um, and they, next time I'll tell, there's a, there's a powerful story from some of the work 
on forgiveness in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa that brings out that same point. That that I'll I think I'll I'll tell that next time. Um, so that's that's a that's a powerful that's a really good one to really look at. Um, so I think in the way we're doing it here, we I think we could would ask that question by saying, is there some action that would um, be necessary as well as the inner work because this is being presented primarily as an inner work. Yeah. But I'll tell, I'll tell some stories next time which actually get in right into that, that question. Okay. So there's a lot here, isn't there? Yeah. It's a lot and it's powerful and uh, maybe, yeah, and we, and we see, I, I know there must be other insights and questions as well. So do the practice, take notes, see what comes up, see how you would answer uh, Debbie's question in terms of more everyday life situations, right? And how does that come up? What's the relationship between forgiveness and action in your, in your, um, in, in some, in, in many ways, I would think, when I think of our everyday interpersonal difficulties, uh, forgiveness, to the extent that I move out of my grudge or out of my pain, actually could facilitate skillful action. Namely, okay, I can talk with this person now, but I'm not in a hardened, polarized place, right? So forgiveness practice could be very closely connected with that kind of action. And, um, yeah. Okay, so my, how many of you would like to uh, uh, focus on forgiveness practice at least 10, 15 minutes a day for the next week? Okay. Those of you who don't raise your hand, I forgive you. <laughs> okay. And, just joking. <laughs> and uh, my invitation would be, to do forgiveness practice or some other heart practice around challenges or difficulties. And then we can come back and compare notes next time. I'll tell some of the, uh, uh, I'll tell some further stories. We'll continue with this. And my sense is that after that, we'll see how how we are as a group, but I might like to go into working in other uh, ways to bring both heart practices mindfulness and wisdom practices into challenging situations, like the aim of uh, bringing our practice into our challenges. Okay, so thank you for your kind attention, and may our, may our practice um, be beneficial to ourselves. May it be beneficial to others as well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.